emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host, Ron Baker, and on today's show, folks, beware the precautionary principle. How you doing, Ron? I'm good, Ed. I'm in shelter in place. So I'm on lockdown. Uh, yes, day one of the <laughs> uh, official California confinement. Yes, absolutely. Although I suppose we had it, have it in Texas too. So Texas was not far behind from you. I, I think this whole state has got it now. I think the entire state yeah. is in shelter in place. For those of you listening at some point in the future, today is March 20th, 2020. And the we're in the midst of the coronavirus, COVID-19. And Ron, do you know there's a difference between coronavirus and COVID-19? COVID-19 is like, I know the 19 stands for 2019 because that's when it, you know, hit, right? Yes, so, yes. Um, but it, what is the difference? Coronavirus is, is actually a family of viruses. Okay. That includes things i think like even the common cold which common is cold that's right a, a, a rhinovirus and, and other flus things but so but but covid19 is is this and you'll you'll oftentimes see the the term novel associated with it novel meaning mm -hmm. newly identified that's that's right. what that means and it was identified in 2019 albeit the very end of 2019 but that's hence the 19 yeah yeah but today we're talking about the precautionary principle. And while the coronavirus was probably and ironically the catalyst, so there's the opposite of virus as a catalyst, they were the, the, the catalyst for us doing the show. This is a subject that you and I have talked a lot about previously in different ways. And it's, it's been in the back of our minds to do on a, sh a show on it. And I think now is just the perfect time to, to jump in and, and talk about this thing called the precautionary principle. Right. We've talked a lot about this, but in, in the context of permissionless innovation, I know we've had, you know, lots of uh, free rider Friday stories on this that we've covered, but it's been more about permissionless innovation. So, and, and Ed, these things are kind of on the same spectrum. They're just opposite sides. That's absolutely correct. It's, and it's really interesting to see how all of this is, is playing out and once you put the precautionary principle into practice, what it what it means. So, let, but let's let me let me first try to define it because there are different definitions, and there are people who like to massage it one way or the other. I here's the, the the definition that I learned, and this one says that if an action might cause harm, in the absence of scientific consensus, the burden of proof is on the party performing the action. And the way that it is more formally defined, and this is Stuart Brand who does this as most, most frequently cited definition, is that when an act activity 
raises threats of harm to human health or the environment, precautionary measures should always be taken, even if some of the cause and effect relationships are not fully understood, established scientifically. In this context, the proponent of an activity rather than the public should bear the burden of proof. Now, what this has then meant, and I think the larger societal point that I'm most concerned with, and this is where it relates to the notion of permissionless innovation and, and those things which I'm sure we'll get into as examples on, on this show, is that the default value in society has been when you are about to introduce something or take some kind of action, some, some kind of measure, the, the burden of proof is on those to prove that you're going to cause harm right. before they can restrict it in some way. And what the precautionary principle really then says is, no, if you're going to, to introduce something, the burden of proof is on you to prove that it won't be harmful. Right. And that's the thing that is most scary to me because if, for example, you know, we'll go back to our, our classic go-to is what, what if the Wright brothers were subject to the precautionary principle? And what if they were told, all right, you, all right Wilbur and Orville, this is great and all, but you, you can't introduce this flying machine thing until you can prove that there's, there's not going to be any harm from it. We, we, we clearly wouldn't have the airplane today. We clearly wouldn't have any, any kind of, of rockets or any, because, because, well, because we can't, you, it's, first of all, it's really hard to prove a negative, first of all, even, even retrospectively. So even when you have the data available, but what this is saying is, no, you've got to prove this even without the data. And of course, you and I have railed on this. This is another constant theme of this show. And if you're following at home, this is part of the drinking game, I'm sure, is that, that data, conclusive data is only available about the past. Yeah. So how is it possible that you can prove that there will be no future harm if conclusive data is only available about the past? Well, the answer is you can't. And I've even seen some writers, Ed, and some definitions say you're not even allowed to balance costs against benefits you know it's <laughs> which is weird because you need you kind of need some data or some model to do that but you can't even do that correct in their in their formulation of it right <clears throat> right and that is that that that's an extreme formulation but i have seen it and it's also it's it but it's easily used as justification but i want to take us back a little bit Ron to show um, I think it's show number 68 as I no, I'm sorry 87 show number 87 back in April of 2016 we, we did a show called risk is not a four-letter word yep where we concentrated mostly on risk and I shared with the audience my project management definition of risk which is an uncertain event that if it occurs will have a positive or negative impact on the the project in this case right mm -hmm. and that you you in 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 project management terms, what you look, what you try to assess is the probability and the impact, and you multiply those two things together. So the probability of occurrence, what the anticipated impact is, and that gives you what's called the risk profile. Now, I don't know if I said it in that show, I didn't get a chance to go back and listen, but another definition of risk that people use, and this is the one that's more in alignment with the, the, the precautionary principle, is not probability times impact, but hazard times impact. 
And the, 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 the difference between those two when you say probability is that it, there, there's a, a, a subjective piece that you, f that you fill in yourself. And the great example of this is handguns versus pools. The, and this is if you if you assess the risk of a handgun in the house and a pool in the house, you'll find that the that the mortality rate is a hundred times more likely that you have a, a a death of a child due to a pool than a handgun. Yet, if you go to the doctor, and this even happens in the great state of Texas, and they they're going to ask you, so do you have a handgun in the house? Well, I don't answer that question for libertarian reasons anyway, but they're not going to ask you if you've got a pool. Yeah. Right. And the reason is, is because th this, this thing called hazard is a subjective component and the subjective component for, and this, this was, was drilled home in the book Freakonomics that says for some reason, a, a child dying of a gunshot is far worse from a hazard standpoint than one floating silently in a pool. And, and I know this is macabre and I'm sorry to, to shock our audience, but that, and that's, and that's the reality. And to a fa in a, uh, in other words, that factor has, has a big impact uh, of over a hundred times because the, be, because the, when you compare the actual events, it's still considered far worse for uh, the handgun death versus the pool death. Yep. Absolutely. You know, Kevin Kelly, who's the uh, technology writer at Wired, one of them, I should say, he's written several books that are quite good. He mm -hmm. points out that the precautionary principle is effective for only one use, stopping technology. He, he makes the point <laughs> that, look, every good, every good produces harm somewhere. DDT, mm -hmm. asbestos, right? And if certain technology can only be in the hands of our enemies, um, suppressing them reduces our knowledge and increase actually increases their danger. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. and you know, I love this line. This, this should be written all over the fears aren't science. And George Gilder, who we've had on the show three times says this, no other political campaign has been so destructive to innovation. The the, meaning the precautionary principle? Yeah, absolutely. So Kelly, Kevin Kelly posits a proactionary principle, which uh, emphasizes provisional assessment and constant correction. What's that sound like to you? Provisional assessment and constant correction. Free market, maybe? Mm, yeah. Gradual introduction? Testing. Market tested innovation and supply? You got it. <laughs> you got it. Yep. And yeah. it really boils down, Ed, to the permission question. Must creators of new technology seek the blessing of public officials before they develop and deploy their innovations? And, you know, you brought up the Wright brothers, and it's really interesting. Let's go back before the Wright brothers. Let's, let's talk about the first flights, the first time man took to the sky. Icarus and Daedalus, that one? Well, no. I'm, I'm <laughs> Well, it was hot air balloons, but then what, go, really, no. what really brought it online were, were – the rigid airships, the Zeppelins. And, mm. you know, those things were fraught with death. Now, the Hindenburg wasn't the greatest disaster. There was a British one and there were other, you know, deaths from the, the we had uh, four of them in the United States. Uh, three of them crashed. 
uh, and caused deaths. But the Zeppelins actually led to the airplane probably being developed quicker. A lot of innovations came off the Zeppelin for air travel. It's not something that's talked about a lot, but it's historically very true. And if we would have had the precautionary principle back then, we wouldn't have had that. And it probably would have slowed down the uh, innovation in the airlines and or airplanes. And uh, these you know, knowledge accretes, right? It, it builds on itself. And this thing just stops it dead in its tracks. It's really worrisome. It is. And I, I think, as I recall, uh, you, can, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the tail rudder, was one of those things that came off of the Zeppelin that was added to, to airplanes after the fact. So I think that that's a, a great example of it. Yeah, there were, there were engine, uh, there were even instrumentation uh, things about altitude and, and, you know, air temperature predicting weather. Those guys were phenomenal at, at, you know, avoiding storms and predicting weather. Just a lot of different things helped us with our, you know, heavier than air flight, but would have never got off the ground if you had the precautionary principle in place we we wouldn't even have fire <laughs> not not captured fire it would clearly be bad clearly be bad well ron we're already up against our first break want to remind you that you can get a hold of ron or me by sending an email to ask tsoe at verisage.com the website the soul of up there is show notes from all of our previous shows as well as the previews to upcoming shows but right now, a word from our sponsor. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah, 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 Whatever. And four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise well, welcome back everybody we're talking about beware 
the precautionary principle. Ed, there's a wonderful quote by Hayek. Who else? Again, Sel- not Selma Hayek, right? Not, not Selma, Selma Friedrich. Uh, again, Friedrich, not, the, okay, just to clarify. Not, not, not the most pithy person to quote, but deep. And it, it's a great line. It says, it is not the fruits of past success, but the living in and for the future in which human intelligence proves itself. Mm-hmm. And that ties so well into this. And that's actually um, the opening line in the book, Permissionless Innovation. The Continuing Case for Comprehensive Technological Freedom by Adam Tier. Uh, he's a Mercatus Senior Fellow at George Mason University. And he says, look, there's two conflicting attitudes that are evident here. He says we have the precautionary principle where innovation should be curtailed or disallowed until their developers can prove that they will not cause any harms to individuals, groups, entities, cultural norms, or various existing oh. laws, norms, or traditions. This gets very expansive very fast, as you can tell. Yeah, and we're talking about subjectivity on top of subjectivity. No kidding. And then the other side of the spectrum is permissionless innovation, where experimentation with new technologies and business models should generally be permitted by default. So there's no, you know, mother may I, right? He calls it mother may I, uh, which I love. Right. And uh, he, you know, he, ta- he points out that um, fears of worst case scenarios, and we've heard this with GMOs and well, climate change, uh, but let's, you know, s- stick with GMOs. We even, you know, Nassim Taleb talks about how GMOs could be that tail event, you know, that, that black swan event that could be much more horrific than we think. Um, but he says fears of worst case scenarios affecting public policy means best case scenarios will never come about. Mm-hmm. Planning for every worst case means the best case can never can never be there. I mean, there are risks in misperceiving risks. Mm-hmm. And that's the great thing about permissionless innovation because it's experimentation by trial and error. It's, it's market tested, there's real feedback. Um, this ties into so many things, but you know, I'll just throw one more in the hopper to kind of set the table. Uh, the, FA, the FDA did halt for a while, and you probably remember this. I think we talked about this on one of the Free Rider Friday shows. They did halt 23andMe back in 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, I just listened to a show on NPR about experts. You know, why, why do Americans distrust experts? Uh, we need experts, and you certainly see that now with COVID-19, you know, the epidemiologists and all of this. It's not that Americans distrust experts. We've always had experts. We've always relied on experts. We consult with experts practically every day of our life. The thing that we're skeptical about is that governmental experts have no skin in the game. There's no responsibility when they're wrong. With Mm -hmm. markets, if you're wrong, you pay an enormous price, whether that's torts, class action suits, going bankrupt, whatever. That's the real issue. Mm-hmm. And that's why markets are superior to government for, for this type of experimentation and market testing. Two things on that that I want to add, right? And, and I wrote down as you were talking that permissionless innovation does not mean that there can't be lawsuits if you screw something up. Absolutely. And so I think that that is, a ch- is, is oftentimes missing as part of the conversation. Now, some 
will respond that, well, there's externalities that can't be clearly defined around certain things. I, I, I don't know if I buy into that completely. And because usually if there is, there's harm, you, there's a victim, <laughs> you can find out who those people are. And there has to, there, there needs to be a clear chain of evidence tying, tying the, the, the victim to whoever was causing the harm. And that is, I will admit, sometimes difficult or challenging to prove, but it should be. Because sure. if it's not difficult or challenging to, to prove, then, then it would, it, we would be, we'd have far too many lawsuits. But the other thing that I, I wanted to mention on, on this, and, and there, there is the, we, the, the, what is the fallacy of our argument, uh, argumentum for, of uh, our authoritarian or something, or argument from authority. Right, right. That just say, well, so, you know, I, I'll, and I'll stack my PhD against your PhD and yes. who has the most PhDs. And it, it, we ha have a lot of people who are experts in epidemiology, let's say, or even microbiology, but not statistics. Yeah. And I think that oftentimes we make the assumption that folks who are experts in a particular area, not the least of which, by the way, is economics. Yeah. And medicine. That they also fully understand statistics. Now, clarification, I am not saying I'm an expert in statistics. I did really well in my statistics class, I will say. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'm not, but I'm, but I'm not an expert statistician. And I, I will even say that the great, uh, we, and you and I have both listened to this, Richard Epstein did a, an interview with Nick Gillespie over on reason. And I, it, yes, it's about COVID, but what I really, with regard to this show is he points out that when he was, he was doing, doing some work on this back with, with AIDS, there was a, a statistician, a very world-renowned statistician that he mentions, even names in this interview, where he says, I, look, I, I proved the guy wrong statistically. He yeah. says, it, it ultimately didn't make me a better statist statistician than him, but it does prove that sometimes experts get far too uh, nose down in their own data to really see what's going on. That's right. No, I, he, he wrote a great article. We'll probably talk about it on the bonus show. Uh, for Ricochet on how he sees this COVID-19 playing out. And I, I noticed somebody posted it on Facebook and said, you know, this is the greatest legal mind, you know, in, in, in the country. And I, and I said to myself, no, he's not. He's the greatest mind in the country. I mean, he's just, he's just brilliant. Uh, well, I believe and, my response to you after we re I read that was Epstein for emperor. So you yeah, know where yeah, no, you know, I, you know I, if a libertarian is look is ca is calling for an emperor that must for be somebody going from on. the Hoover Institute, <laughs> the University of Chicago, well, he, he's he's tough to he's tough to you know pigeonhole into a into a group. He's got libertarian leanings, he's got conservative leanings, but either way, he's brilliant, and I love listening to him. And uh, yeah, he he makes so much sense, but. The other thing that needs to be pointed out about this is permissionless innovation is done for citizens and consumers, right? For, for consumer sovereignty, consumer welfare. It's not to protect any tech sector or technology or particular business. But if, if we adopt the precautionary principle, we actually end up doing that. You know, it's a subsidy to the incumbents. And that just, that just you know, like Gilder says, that just turns your economy barren. 
because it's all about, you know, what you've done in the past, whereas entrepreneurialism, innovation, risk-taking is all about the future. And that's what scares me about this thing. Yeah, and we can, we can talk a, maybe a little bit more about this, uh, but but I, I have a, an example of this that just, just came out yesterday. Again, this is on, on um, Reason.TV, and it's on the Impossible Burger. Yeah. And the fact... I, the, the 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 possible burger is is GMO. It's it's a genetically modified it organism, is. and I I don't think there's a lot of people who realize that because there's a lot of folks who are very much in favor of it because it, it's a substitute for for meat and and I I have not had one. Have you had a chance to have one? I have yet, not. I have not. Yeah. But you know, there's a lot of people who are like, "Hey, it's it, it really difficult, challenging to make it t- taste the difference between the the, the the two things." And I guess they're they're selling them at Dunkin' Donuts and White Castle, Burger King, Whole Foods, uh, lots of other restaurants are are doing it. But this is a, another great example of if 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 we didn't have if we we had to feed into the precautionary principle, and they had to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that there's no possibility of GMOs ever causing any harm, even though to this day there has been zero incidents of GMOs causing any harm, then they couldn't introduce this. And, yeah. it, and billions it, it, isn't of meals this, have been served with GMOs. Billions, right? literally billions. And, 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 the, and the, fight, the fight against this is, is that, well – uh, th- this is this could potentially be a long-term big benefit to the environment. And the impossible. This is a quote from the the, the interview. The Impossible Burger uses about eighty percent less less water, about ninety percent less energy, and about ninety-five percent less uh, compared to most traditional beef production over the long term. And that pushes down th- down the costs for them, and ultimately costs to the consumer. Yeah, I mean, it's a follow-up. Uh, what's it called, Ed? The, the, is it the Green Revolution? The guy, you know, who made farming much more productive and we use less land. And Oh, you, you uh, know, what, Noah, it, Noah, Noah something it, or other. I think his yeah, name is Noah. What, I, I can't remember what they call it. It wasn't yeah. the Green Revolution. It was something like that. But and, and look, we have a couple of examples just off of the soul of enterprise. We had Thomas Hazlett on the show talking, you know, about his book, The Political Spectrum. And he documents multiple technologies that were delayed, including the mobile phone, cable television, for decades that n- did nothing but protect incumbents. And then, as Adam Tier points out in the book, uh, Permissionless Innovation, he said policymakers should not impose prophylactic restrictions without clear evidence of actual harm, not merely hypothetical harm. What was the biggest hypothetical harm we've heard in the last five years? net neutrality mm-hmm. and what's happened since we blew the, that up internet speeds have something like doubled i'm still waiting to get throttled i'm still waiting I, I for and, and, and now <laughs> at&t to throttle the netflix and guess what they're doing it in europe did you hear this oh geez, the eu well, they, no, because because so many people are sitting at home. Exactly, I know. I'm, yeah, and working from Netflix home. and Amazon Prime have both have both had to cut back to standard definition on yeah. their thing. But it, but it's the, the companies themselves that are doing it. Yeah, yeah. Well, the providers they're, they're, themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, just one more example before we go to break. But Vint Vint Cerf, one of the fathers of the internet 
credits permissionless innovation for the economic benefits of the net. You know, it's, it's easy to, to forget this, but until 1989, commercial use of the internet was prohibited. There you go. I mean, what would be the benefits lost if we didn't have the net? It's just, it's, just, it's, it's unbelievable to me. It's really dynam dynamism versus stasis is what we're really looking at here. You know, what kind of world do we want to live in? Um, we, do we want to let the future unfold or, or not? Um, and, and, you know, let's face it, we are a conservative species, right? We have loss aversion. We know all these things. Um, but, and we also have a negativity bias. You know, we pay closer attention, give more weight to negative events, beliefs, and information than to positive. And boy, if we didn't have permissionless innovation, we wouldn't have certain drugs, vaccine, other things. Uh, it, it's a scary it's a scary future. You talk about a dystopian future. It's the precautionary principle in my mind. I, I agree. I, one of the biggest challenges that we face today is this notion of the precautionary principle. But And I have another example coming out of the break that I'll share with you that is directly related to the, the COVID-19 situation, but you know, not COVID-19 per se, but just a, an example of, of the precautionary principle in action as it's been implemented in the world today. But first, I want to remind you that you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending that email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Our Patreon site is patreon.com slash tsoe. On that site, you will see also our bonus shows where that Ron and I do after each regular episode, as well as the commercial free versions of the show. And now new this week, some additional stuff that's out there for even those of you that don't want to pay. We've been doing some bonus episodes that we are releasing, as well as now some posts that we're putting up that you can read, uh, including my one that I did on five questions that we can ask ourselves during a, uh, a, a business interruption. But now a word from our sponsors. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You 
are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Freeman Dyson, in his report from the 2000 World Economic Forum, defined the precautionary principle as that if, if some course of action carries an even remote chance of irreparable damage to the ecology, then you shouldn't do it no matter how great the possible advantages are, may be. You are not allowed to balance costs against benefits when deciding what to do. And this is what we're dealing with today, talking about this precautionary principle and how it's implemented in the world around us. Again, the, the, the kind of the catalyst for this show is COVID-19, but not exclusively. This is something that Ron and I have been passionate about for quite some time. And Ron, I wanted to talk about an example of the precautionary principle and how it, it's implemented in, in the world. And I was talking about this with a couple people today, and you and I have heard about this. In fact, we probably talked about it on Freerider Friday. But this just blows people away when you mention to them that in order for a, a hospital to open up, they have to get the permission of the competing hospitals in the area yeah. in order to be able to open up. And when you're thinking about this going, well, we have this problem, you see, because we might be short on, on hospital beds, et cetera, et cetera. Well, no crap, Sherlock when the only way to open up a hospital is to get the permission of other hospitals in the area that you want to serve. How ridiculous a policy is that? And that's a great example of non-permissionless innovation, but also the precautionary principle saying, no, you have to demonstrate that there's actual need before you can open this up. Yeah, no, it's technocrats that trying to gain control of the future. Uh, over the future course of, you know, technological development and their tool is the precautionary principle and it manifests itself in so many different ways. And this is what makes permissionless innovation so critical. We can't have trial without air. You know, George Gilder loves to point out it's, it's not the look that generates the, the critical knowledge. It's the leap. It's the leap. And yeah, there's going to be risk and uncertainty with that, but if you can do nothing without knowing first how it will turn out, you can't do anything at all. You know that line, you know, if we, if, if uh, we could, you know, if we could predict it, creativity always takes us by surprise because if, yes. we, you know, we, we, you wouldn't need to invent the wheel because you already knew what it looked like. Well, this is kind of the, the flip side of that, right? If, if you can do nothing without knowing first how it will turn out, you're stopped in your tracks. You can't do anything at all. Mm -hmm. You know, Gilder says faith precedes knowledge, faith precedes action, faith precedes meaning. All of these things, the, the precautionary is a principle, is a dagger in the heart to all of these things. And it, it, it I, I, what scares me about the current situation, and again, not COVID per se, but I think that this is the, the first time that I can clearly remember the entire world and society as a whole reacting to the situation with the precautionary principle as the lead and rather than the reverse, where 
no, we've got to prove that there's, there's no harm that's going to happen. Yep. And I, I think that, and I fear that one of the things that's going to come out of this is that this is not the first, or this is not the last time that something like this is going to happen. Now, we, we may not react quite as strongly. And of course, there's also a boy who cried wolf situ situation, possibly. Again, I could be totally wrong about this. I hope I'm right, for, not for my, the sake of my ego, but for the sake of society. But let's just, let's, let's just say that, that, that this turns out to be somewhere in the middle, right? The, somewhere in the middle. I think that there's a, there's, there's a danger for us not reacting as quickly the next time because of the reaction this time, even if it's somewhere in the middle. And then I, I also think that there's a danger in us using this as, a, as, as the building block and the model for how things happened in the past. And we, we, we can't be shutting down the economy for two months every two years or so. Yeah. I, I don't know if we're going to be shutting down the economy for two months once i don't know <laughs> and we're, we're the, gonna find out well we're gonna find out and and that's what i wanted to to bring up is we we've clearly applied the precautionary principle to the initial response but and i'm even starting to now see some talk about this is what if we applied the precautionary principle to shutting down the economy yeah. prove that there's no harm from what's what we're about to do and they can't do it either because and, – and this is what makes the precautionary principle a dangerous tool is whichever side you are on of an issue, there's always going to be some uh, another way to present the precautionary principle in such a way that it's a reversal of what you want. Right. You know, Adam Tier has this concept called risk mismatch where when fear-based tactics and threat scenarios can lead us to ignore – quite serious risks because they're overshadowed mm -hmm. by unnecessary panics over non-problems. And usually when I've read a lot of people on the precautionary principle and they're usually concerned about privacy, safety, security, you know, and, and you can think of these things with 3D printing, right? Guns and, you know, you can think about it as, you know, people call it digital Pearl Harbor or cyber 9-11, uh, all these things. But Ed, this has got a long history. I mean, back in 1890, in Harvard Law Review, Samuel Warren and Louis Brandeis wrote an article called The Right to Privacy. And you know what they were worried about? They were decrying the spread of public photography. <laughs> this is when, you know, you had to post 30 <laughs> seconds to take a picture and it took you right. know, hours to take a picture. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, and, and you've seen, you've seen uh, call, caller ID. Remember caller ID in the 1990s? Yeah. There was a heated debate over that, over what about the privacy implications? The RFID tag, remember that? That was likened to a biblical threat in Wired <laughs> Magazine in 2006. Gmail hostility um, you know, from privacy advocates. Wireless location-based services are still talked about in terms of some of these apps we use on our, on our phones. Uh, but after the panic, we almost always embrace the services that once violate, violated our sense of privacy. You know, we will trade privacy for convenience and discounts, other things. Um, this is why I think Tom Palmer has it right when he calls privacy a pseudo right. And I always mm. found that very interesting. I've had long debates with our colleague Dan Morse about this, whether privacy is an actual right embedded mm. in the constitution. According to 
uh, Palan and Tom Palmer, two minds I have deep respect for, it is not. There is no right to privacy. It's a pseudo right. That's very interesting. And, and that, that weaves into this permissionless innovation and the precautionary principle as well, because that's always one of the things that's talked about. As, a, as an example, sure. Yep. Well, the, the next thing I wanted to, to, to bring up with this and is the, the relationship to the precautionary principle and th- th- government action. Uh, right. For example, things like bailouts and stuff. And I think there's a huge parallel to the, 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 the quantitative easing that was done in 2008 and uh, the TARP and even before that, I forget what the first one was under Bush, right? There was one another of uh, some, some, some spending that was happened before. There was actually, remember, there was actually debate over that, Ron. There was, yeah, <laughs> there well, was de- imagine there was actually <laughs> debate 12 years ago about this. Now there's not even debate about it, but this is a quote from the chancellor of the Minnesota university system about the current COVID situation. And he says, quote, it will be impossible to know if we overreacted or did too much, but it will be quite apparent if we underreacted or did too little. Yep. Now, most people ha- will, will focus on the second part of that clause, the what happens after the but, but it'll be quite apparent if we underreacted or did too little. And not give a stones, uh, not give a second thought to the first part, which has dramatic implications in and of itself that it's impossible to know if we overreacted. And this is the same thing with stimulus bills. If, if, if they're, they're brilliant, and as is this reaction from a political perspective, because you can't lose. Yeah. Because if, 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 you, if you spend the money or you go and, and react in such a way, they can say, well, it's so, it's so good that we reacted. Yep. And then if, but if it doesn't work, if the stimulus, if, if, if they can say, well, it should have been more. Absolutely. Heads I win, tails you lose. Yeah. Oh, the Keynesian trap. Have you stopped no. beating your wife? You know, it's. <laughs> you, you know, he talks about the difference between legislate and regulate versus educate and empower. Mm-hmm. And, you know, worst case scenarios don't usually come about. We're, we're resilient. We're, we're to, to use a phrase, we're anti-fragile. Markets mm-hmm. are anti-fragile. They, they respond. They learn. Um, this is one of the arguments against government, right? It doesn't, it doesn't pay for its mistakes. It'll just get a bigger budget because we didn't do enough. The CDC wasn't big enough to get all the tests out. Mm-hmm. CDD, CDC screwed the pooch on those tests so bad. No, and, I agree. I mean, just it's unbelievable. Um, but, you know, markets are all about gradual trial and error. And, and they're responsible for the harm. Um, you know, we have towards common law, class action is protection, which are restitution based, not permission based. Mm-hmm. That's a big difference. Well, pe- people don't want anything to happen in the first place. And that, that, that's the, that's the danger. And, you know, this gets to something that we did, did release in a, a bonus ep- episode on Patreon, it, which happens to be behind the, 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 the paywall and the conversation that we had or, or email exchange that we had with uh, professor Steve Landsberg and the horrible notion. And again, those are, there's going to be a lot of people who are, are, are upset by what I'm about to say, but I, I think it's very true. 
we, we there is a price on human life. There, it, there, there. We, we are willing to to risk and put at risk human life in the interest of progress. Otherwise, we wouldn't drive cars at all. That's right. Or if you did, you would go out and do a 52-point inspection before you drove to the store. Every right? single you'd time. Every yeah. single time. You you know, you check your brakes and all of that. It's yeah, it's absolutely. Well, Ed, yeah. this is just flying by. But folks, we'd like to remind you if you want to contact Ed or me, send us an email to ask TSOE at verisage.com. You can go out to rate this podcast.com slash TSOE, give us a, a rating. And if you write something, we'll read it on the air. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is, for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking about Beware the Precautionary Principle. And Ed, we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing right now. And I don't just mean the internet. Skype proceeded without regard to U.S. regulatory approvals. And they got a two-year head start on the whole VoIP thing. And what a great thing. They didn't ask mm -hmm. for permission. They were probably blowing all sorts of regulations in this country and maybe the EU, but they just went ahead and did it. And this is something that Adam Tier uh, coined. He, he calls it the law of disruption. Technology changes exponentially, but social, economic, and legal systems change incrementally. Mm. And that's also a big problem because you have, you know, if we ignore regulatory irrationality or regulatory ignorance, right? If consumers are ignorant, well, what about them? I mean, this is the whole public choice argument, right? It's public choice is government without romance. It, lo it looks at the practical applications of these things and markets are simply more nimble. The reason if we do get a, a COVID-19 test and we, we are starting to get them, 
you can thank the private sector for that because these companies have the logistics and the, the people to, to conduct these things and spread them across the country rapidly, whereas the CDC couldn't do it. And, and I think you also mean uh, like a vaccine too, right? Uh, that too, that too. Uh, in fact, I was just reading the SARS vaccine took us 20 months. And, mm. you know, a lot of doctors think that we're going to get the coronavirus vaccine quicker. Yeah, no, there, I've, I've seen reports and this is probably, it would, you know, we're three to three to six weeks away, which I think would be extraordinary if that actually plays out. It, it would, and it would, it would go against all history in this. It, it's yeah. usually nine months, I think, is the record that uh, might be off a couple months either way on that. But I think nine months is the record. Uh, but, you know, the FDA has to be a little bit more nimble in approving these things. And, you know, it, again, not follow the precautionary principle in, 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 you know, when a vaccine could be very beneficial. Agreed. Well, Ron, there's another aspect that we did talk about on the on the risks show, and I, I want to talk about a, a perhaps a slightly different take on it as related to the precautionary principle, and that is assessing the level of list, risk tolerance of, of different people. And I have a, an exercise that I did whenever I taught this concept in class, and I would I would make everybody in the room stand up, and I would ask um, how many of you would risk five cents to make 10 cents on a coin flip of a fair coin. You always have to point out a fair coin, by the way, sure. because if you don't say fair coin, people are, you know, so there's, you're going to flip a fair coin and you, you risk five cents to 10 to, to make 10 cents. If you, if you guess right, you get 10 cents. If you lose, you lose five cents and everybody will stay standing up. And then I'll just slowly increase the amounts orders of magnitude, 50 cents to make a dollar, $5 to make $10, 50 to make 100, 500 to make 1000, uh, 5000 to make 10,000 and people people begin to sit down at different intervals mm -hmm. and of course most of the people sit down in the middle it's a it's a fairly it's a bell curve distribution and then usually you'll have 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 some some guy standing up there you know still standing with half a million to make a million right right <laughs> it's like okay and again on that same coin flip and what you notice in that e exercise and is that what we're doing is we're changing the the impact of the risk event, both in a positive and negative sense, but we're not changing the probability. So we're only altering one of those things. And, be, and that is because this notion of what's called risk tolerance is based not on the probability, but on your perception of the 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 impact and it's an yeah. individual preference that's right which it's is why like... people sit down at different times right so there's the risk seekers those that stay standing up there's the risk neutrals which is most of the crowd who sits down in the middle and then you know occasionally you get one or two people who sit down you know for 50 cents to make a dollar they're like nope <laughs> sitting down the and uh, it, so so there there there's a there's a different tolerance level now what the precautionary principle says is everyone has to have the same risk tolerance level yep. and that we're going to insist upon it, that everybody has that same risk tolerance level. And this is, this again is another tough argument to make. And I get into a lot of hot water, even with my, my family on this is, you know, the, I, and I think they're, they're kind of jerks too, who are sitting out there in, in California or in Florida on the beaches 
I, I think they're, I think they're kind of stupid that they're, they continue to do this and not necessarily because they're going to get sick, but because they're going to go home wherever they're going and possibly infect a, a parent or a, a grandparent. And, but the way you handle this is by the parents and grandparents saying, all right, you idiot, go sit in your room for two weeks, you dumb jerk. <laughs> <laughs> yep. No, I risk is like, dare I say it, it's like value. It's subjective. It's a preference, mm -hmm. just like you said. And we do have, and th thank goodness we have different tolerances for risk. Otherwise, mm -hmm. we wouldn't have entrepreneurs. We wouldn't have investors. You know, we wouldn't have people like Jeff Bezos willing to suffer. Um, there, there, there's an unbelievable uh, chart of Amazon, how many times its stock just crashed in a particular year, but he stuck, he stuck with it, mm -hmm. you know, because he's obviously got a high tolerance for risk. You know, Andy Grove pointed out, Ed, you got to love Andy Grove. He said, high tech runs three times faster than normal businesses and the government runs three times slower than normal <laughs> businesses. So he says, so we have a nine times gap. <laughs> and and it's compounding. It's, comp <laughs> it's exponential. It's exponential, exactly. Uh, yeah. And, and I, I just love this. Gotta gotta quote George Gilder because he's so just so eloquent with with on this topic. He says, despite his best intentions, the government planner will tend to live in the past, for only the past is sure and calculable. Yep, totally agree. The dog totally is the agree. politician's best friend. So. Mm -hmm. Well, great topic, Ed. I'm finally, I'm glad we finally were able to tackle this. And what is on store for next week? Well, Ron, of course, because it'd be the 27th of the month, it's going to be Free Rider Friday. I have an idea of what that will be dominated by, but I don't uh, do it anyway. Maybe we'll do, maybe we'll try to do an anti-COVID one. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. I'm not promising. All right. I'll see you in 167 hours. All right. This has been the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy. Sponsored by Sage, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern. That's 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please feel free to visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about